Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, my sister and I are going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Season 2 of The Last Ship. Which aired on TNT. Now, this was a uh, series that we really enjoyed the first season of. Agreed. It ended on a cliffhanger where they had lost the ship to enemy forces. Mm, Deceptive enemy forces, because at first glance, they appeared to be allies, our own people. And that meant when they started this, uh, the question was, are they going to spend all the season in, what was it, Baltimore Baltimore. or whatever, uh, recapturing the ship, dealing with all of that, or, or not? Mm-hmm. And really, I was surprised that in the span of really the first two episodes, um, they kind of wrapped that storyline up considerably. Well, and part of the shock there was that the leader of the supposed allies turned out to be enemies was the mother of one of the people on board the ship. Yes. Yes. I was concerned that they'd put themselves into a position where getting back the ship, getting things kind of moving forward again without kind of a cop-out or a cheat or something like that was going to be hard to do. But much to my my pleasant surprise, I felt that they retook the ship, dealt with the situation in Baltimore, uh, the betrayal of, of the crew member's mother, all of that stuff very well, very effectively, and they, they earned kind of the wrap-up of that uh, in a very satisfying manner. And Tex is one of my favorite characters on the show, Mm -hmm. Um, in part because he's not a military guy, but I really don't feel he's a mercenary. He strikes me, and I forget his actual backstory in the thing, but definitely is ex-military, so he's got all of the training to put him on par with the the Navy people, and in some cases above, but outside the chain of command, Mm -hmm. making him have a, a very unique position on that ship. Yeah, he was um, a paid guard down at Gitmo when they found him. So he he does. He has all that training, but he's not part of their chain of command. But to me, mercenary is a negative term so often. Mm -hmm. And I don't apply that to him. And the more we see of him in season one, especially in season two. He's certainly not doing anything for the money. He's doing it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And there's... Right at the beginning of season two, you know, he's planning to go off and find his own daughter. He's got a few of of the needles with the cure, and mm-hmm. he's got his own child to rescue. But as he's leaving, he encounters a kid who's scared and is telling him what he didn't know was happening in Baltimore. Yeah. The number of times Tex makes the tough choice to delay finding his own daughter and family, his wife and stuff, ex-wife, whatever, for the sake of doing not only just what's right, but what has to be done to save the crew that is in turn saving the world. Yeah. Yeah. He gets a job on the security detail at the enemy's compound, and he has no contact with the ship, with Chandler, with anybody. Nobody knows he's doing this. He takes it on his own to infiltrate and to set things right. Yeah. And- Right there, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if I wasn't already a fan of Tex, mm-hmm. that would do it for me. Yeah, so, no, he, he's had some just wonderful uh, roles, parts, and, and opportunities. Yeah, every every character development arc they give that character makes him better and stronger. Well, and it, It's a fun character, but the actor really pulls it off. He does. He's so natural in that part. You know, when interviewed, uh, he said that the first time he read the script, he just had that reaction of, I can do this. This is me. I have to get this part. I I would be hard-pressed to name anyone else that I think could pull that off as well as he has. Mm -hmm. And he's, at times, the conscience of the ship. At other times, just the friend the crew needs. Yeah. Well, and because he's outside the chain of command, he's a different kind of confidant 
for Chandler mm-hmm. and the doctor, as for that matter, than the XO is for the captain, is where I was originally thinking, though. Yeah. Well, again, being outside of the chain of command, he can speak his piece. He's free to leave whenever he wants. Yeah. He's under no specific obligation, but also he is obligated to be there just because of who he is. Yeah. And his role in wrapping things up at the beginning, uh, I thought, worked out very well. And the fact that they then said, okay, let's move on from there mm-hmm. and go tell, you know, more of the story. Yeah. And because we're talking about the text character, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but I will say at the end, he comes face to face with the man his ex-wife had been living with. And they don't actually say he has the choice to give the man the cure or not. But without the man being aware of it, Tex gives him the cure. Well, to me, that says a lot about that character, though, if he does the right thing, just because it's the right thing to do. Agreed. Not because he wants recognition for that. Yeah. He he never lets the guy know, I gave you the cure. He He doesn't make a big deal of it or anything. He just casually does it and moves on with going to find his daughter. Well, and I thought that was one of the interesting shifts over the course of the season with they had the cure, but it's a you must get injected and that kind of a thing mm-hmm. to the continuing development of it to be both airborne, but then also contagious. Well, and the fascinating thing for me as they were going through that process, and of course, I always say I don't have a mind for science, for medicine, etc., is at one point when they're working on the cure, uh, patient zero gets involved in helping them work on the cure. And they're trying to figure out, okay, how can we make it airborne? How can we disseminate it? And he suggests, well, the easiest way would be if you attach it to anthrax. And Dr. Scott just looks at him and says, can we deal with one epidemic at at a time? Yeah, let's not do it in an even more deadly manner. Just kind of how irresponsible of a scientist are you? And I thought, you know, they summed up patient zero so well in that scene. But I also felt that was kind of a turning point for her because she realized he's always going to be the person he is. He hasn't learned anything during this epidemic. He hasn't learned anything. He is literally too dangerous to let live. Yeah. And using him to turn the uh, the antidote contagious, Mm -hmm. uh, I thought was a brilliant move. Having the uh, the captain basically uh, almost imprison her as a result. And then how that gets overturned by the president later. And mm-hmm. just the whole introduction of the president. The introduction of the president was fascinating. And at Comic-Con, they had been hinting at uh, the immunes. They'd been giving out those little temporary tattoos. Are you immune? Mm-hmm. Tag yourself as immune. So I knew something was coming with immunes. And I was thinking, you know, just people like Patrice, who, again, another good, solid... And she was the one they found where she just naturally wasn't affected by the the plague. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to say she's a low-level character, but she's not front and center. But when she's in a scene, she enriches it. She's somewhere between an extra and a recurring. Yeah. And they've got a lot of those kinds of characters in the show. And one of the things I think they've done well, both first season and, and continued here, is you've got a closed community on this ship. We certainly don't know the entire crew, but we've gotten to know a lot of them just by sight, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And some of it is, you know, when they've done some of the filming, they've actually done this on a Navy ship out at sea. So they could do the 360 and not have anything else in the shot and stuff. So a lot of the people you see in the background at that point in uniform are actually Navy personnel just doing their jobs. Yeah. But so, of course, we're never going to get to know who they are. Yeah. But they've built up a, a fairly significant chunk of this crew. And some of them, yeah, they're in the background. We, we get the reaction shot, maybe a line or two, and sometimes not even that. But just having those familiar faces is nice. Yeah. And introducing the president, getting him on board, having to win over the, the hearts and minds of the crew and stuff like that. That was a, a good little arc right there. But you look at where the season started mm. in Baltimore, how they had to get past all that, introduce the immunes continue working on the virus, introduce the president, win him over, and then the the whole kind of PR war, propaganda war at the end. Ramsey and the sub, which came in around the time of the immunes and the president. 
I mean, it was almost like the first two episodes were kind of the end cap of the first book, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of it was kind of its own arc. But there was a smooth transition there. Yeah. And that little bit at the be in the middle there of those two where they'd wrapped up the Baltimore stuff, but then they're still finding – you know, they they make it to the White House. They find uh, in Norfolk the the families of a lot of the other crew members and such. You know that that really makes the story a lot more personal. Yeah. Well, the XO finds the tent that his family had been in at one point that has a bunch of his family's photo albums and stuff, but no sign of his family. Mm -hmm. And he's torn. Do I go look for my family? Do I return for the ship? And we see him leaving doses of the cure with a note for his family at his home because he knows when it comes down to it, he needs to save as many people as possible. He can't abandon his post. Well, the the arc at that same point for the captain yeah. where it, it was his dad or was it his, his it was wife? His, I think it was his dad. His dad basically told him. Mission's not done, kid. Get back out there. Yeah. You know, and just how much this crew is, is putting their lives on hold for the greater good. And I, I stand by comments I made, I think, during the first episode we talked about this, of just how well it portrays our, our Navy and our military people in general. Mm-hmm. You know, people who, who go into this line of work, certainly not all of them, but I think the vast majority, are doing it because they truly believe it is the right thing to do and they're trying to give us, the rest of us in America, uh, the ability to, to, to live our life and have our society the way it is. Yeah. And that historically, that hasn't come for free. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, yeah, we send our people into harm's way in other parts of the world. But there's also a recognition that the world is a small enough place. Everybody's got to be doing okay for anyone to do okay. Mm -hmm. And in this case, you know, going up to, to, you know, what was it, the North Pole or whatever to go find the cure and stuff. That's well out of our backyard. But some of the stuff has a global reach, has a global impact. Well, and you were talking about the PR war. There at the end, uh, they do kind of a WikiLeaks approach the other side. And they disseminate through this strange uh non-internet if you it's will a, it's a peer-to-peer -peer kind of a thing over a cell phone network yeah and they disseminate just thousands of documents that they have gotten a hold of and redacted and one of the comments that's being made by i think it's the xo as he's looking over at them is you know look at this one i only looked at it because the name of the mission sounded familiar but when you look at what they redacted it makes it look like there was a conspiracy to do something evil, but I know what's under that redaction is nothing evil. Yeah, well, and that was one of the things the uh, the president then comments on of, you know, top secret miss missions lend themselves to conspiracy theories. Yeah. And, and the president, you know, we've talked about him a little bit. He was like 12th in line of succession. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody else had gotten wiped out, and the immunes were basically, you know, we're the chosen people, and trying to kind of take over that way. I mean, almost a glorified cult to some degree. Yeah. And had gotten this guy in their thrall. Yeah. So the the Nathan James, uh, the the ship, basically the captain and stuff, had to kidnap him, get him on board, and kind of I don't say unbrainwash him, but but turn him around. Well, and they. They did a little research. They figured out what happened in the city where he was found mm -hmm. and figured out how that cult had been able to get him on what, board. What broke that guy and how do you undo that? Yeah. And again, very personal story, very uh, emotionally driven kind of a thing. Yeah. And I just, I love that aspect of this show. When one of the later episodes in the season they go and have to take down that communication network. Mm. They lose four or five people. Oh, and... And we feel that loss. We do. And one of the many things I loved about that, it takes place on... It's either a natural gas or an oil it rig. It's an oil rig. That's out in uh, the coast off New Orleans. And there was one civilian on there who was running this communications station. And a bunch of our people, if you will, go on board to get it. But when all hell breaks loose, if you will, and fires start and everything's going bad, that one civilian we're trying to get to switch to our side runs left. Our people are either trapped or running right. 
and Captain Chandler can either run right and help his own people or run left after the civilian. And he admits later, you know, it's not just because I'm a good guy who wanted to save the civilian. You it had, was the mission. You had something I needed. There's that too. But he's never going to let a civilian die just because they're not one of his people. Yeah. He realizes that his mission is to literally save the world. And you can't do that with the concept of acceptable losses. Yeah. And it puts him in some very awkward positions at times. Yeah. But the way she got one over uh, over those next couple of episodes, and particularly when she's back on the ship as they're getting the rest of the people off that, that uh, oil derrick or whatever it was, and we see one of the engineer guys we'd gotten to know pretty well die. Mm-hmm. We see one of the other mercenaries they'd picked up. Uh, uh, she was actually an forces. Israeli yeah. officer, yeah. Well, she dies. I mean, we feel these losses pretty deeply because they built up the connections with the other characters. And Chandler himself was injured so badly that he was touch and go for a while. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about that was he was standing around making sure everyone was okay until he collapsed and they opened up his vest and realized shrapnel had gotten through it and he hadn't told anybody. Yeah. One of the... Th- the scenes I liked shortly after all of that, we've lost a number of key players and stuff. One of the other, uh, the the friend of the the special forces lady who died, he's talking with one of the the younger Navy guys with the red hair or whatever, mm-hmm. and just kind of, hey kid, are you okay? Sort of a thing. And you know, he's like, well, we just lost so and so, and and gets kind of that pep talk he needed from the older guy. Mm-hmm. That right there starts building a strong relationship between those two that they can then leverage in later episodes, next season and yeah. whatnot. And they've got a, a good sense of community building, of of relationship building, without it seeming forced, without it seeming contrived. Well, and when the uh, female Israeli officer was dying, they had Patrice next to the male uh, foreign officer <laughs> who's on one side consoling her. They had Burke on the other side who'd been flirting with her on and off. And the doctor has rolled her onto her side and confirmed that on her back, the injury is so severe, she's not going to live. But they don't want to tell her this. So he just shakes his head at Burke. And when they, after they roll her back and get her comfortable, the doctor knows he can't do anything for her. So he puts his hand on Burke's shoulder and gives Burke the comfort and reassurance he needs to be able to be there for yeah. her as she dies. And I thought, you know, that's just great, both direction and writing, to have everybody have a support structure in that scene. Well, and we feel her loss through Burke. Yes. A little less so from the other guy that she'd come on board with. But then we get the scene with um, uh, the, the chief. Um, shoot, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, oh, the chief petty officer. Jeter? No, no, yes. no. Yeah. And he's he's kind of sort of the chaplain of the ship, if you will. He has the most faith of anyone on board, and I think that's why he kind of serves as a chaplain. Yeah. He's, uh, he's the one who kind of is like third below captain, second officer, whatever, XO and stuff, and is the one who's got the pulse of the ship. Yeah. And he's basically in the mess hall with, with most everybody there. Saying, you know, we're going to get past this. We've hit a loss. We've got to grieve, but we we soldier on. That that is what we do. That is what they expect us to do. And he has had at times some of the the best scenes, the most moving scenes. Agreed. And you know, it's just that that's one of the things I, I just love about this series is they don't paint these these military people as super soldiers Mm-mm. as cookie cutters or anything they're they're real people they've got flaws they've got foibles they're in this case in over their head at times you know a lot of them had to go get trained up on the ship for how okay this is how we're going to go take a a land-based thing you know yeah you're not trained for this because you're you're supposed to be on a ship we're doing that but we're going to have to go on land take you know and just seeing them kind of get stretched past their initial goals their initial desires and their their you know first season when it's a little do people want to they're up up for reenlistment. Do they reenlist or not? Well, you were talking about the losses they've suffered. Uh, they lost their sonar officer. 
Mm-hmm. So another person had to step up to being the top sonar officer. And there were some really good pep talks for that guy. Uh, yeah. There were a couple of, you know, can he do it or not? It's like, you are doing it. Yeah. You know, not just we think you can, but you know. Yeah. And some of the scenes they've got, particularly around chasing the sub and a few things like that, it really shows how at times some of our our, our military people are young. mm you know, early 20s or, or thereabouts, and the, the pressure placed on them, the stress placed on them, you know, can you find that sub? Are we going to make it through this shallow water in time? You know, have you really, you know, done your homework, done the math, and are you right about this? Yeah. Um, And seeing them come through, seeing them have to struggle to come through. Yes. And just showing, granted, it's Hollywood, it's an idealized version, whatever, but showing what a a crew of a military vessel is truly capable of, yeah. you know, or at least imaginably capable of, I should say. Uh, it's got to be doing wonders for naval recruitment. If not, it should be. I'd be amazed. Uh, it's just fun to watch. It's it's something that, again, I, I prefer to see our military painted in heroic, respectful tones mm. and, and lights than glorified thrill seekers or something like that. Yeah. You know, this to me paints a very good picture of, of the Navy versus Top Gun, which I loved and thought did wonders for, for naval recruiting and stuff. But, you know, Maverick, bit of a thrill seeker. Yeah. Bit of a, a, a Maverick, go figure. Yeah. You know, whereas these people are following the rules, doing what they can, and and saving the world as a result. Well, and they have morals and ethics, and that's where that line between Chandler and Dr. Scott where you say he ends up arresting her and confining mm-hmm. her to course on the ship. That That's where that line is drawn, and she crosses it. Well, it also was shown in the scene when they've taken the doctor, the kids, and gotten them off the ship because it's safer for them at that point. And they come across two people, the family with the stuff. Burke's about ready to shoot them because regular people had just fired an RPG and killed a bunch of his friends. Yeah. All Texas guys gun up. The military guys have their guns up, but they're they're following Scott because they trust her. But they just don't know whether or not the XO gets a lot of credit there too. Yes, you know, hold your fire, old. You know, kind of a yeah. And that's really a pivotal scene in terms of she wins over that family. Mm-hmm. She shares the now contagious cure with them. And because she earns their trust, and then the XO says, you know, let's get them some MREs. Let's get them some water. We yeah. we have no business holding back what we have from these people. That's when they say, you know, we picked up the virus from the immunes. Well, it's also a do right gets you right, kind of a karma thing. Because yeah. those were the people who told them, well, they've got this weapon they think will take down your ship. Yeah. And they send the XO uh, 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 attacks and one of the others mm. to go take down the rocket launcher thing. I cannot think of his name. All I can think of to call him is the father of the baby. I have a hard time keeping track of the names on this. Part of it is I read a ton of comics and we're watching a ton of TV shows. It, well, this is Green, a large I cast. I think it's Lieutenant Green, maybe. That, it is a large cast. That could be... But that's, again, part of its strength is the fact that it's a large cast and they can do this stuff. But they wind up having had a couple of go-rounds of, of avoid the sub and whatnot, which made for some very tense, slow, literally slow-moving scenes. Um, and just seeing kind of the, the, the chess match between uh, the captain and uh, the leader of the immunes on the sub. And then the the, the final battle between them uh, where they basically realize the ship is on top of the sub, and therefore neither can really hurt the other because they're they they're too close. Yeah, and you were right; it is green. But just having the Nathan James down to minimal armaments, having taken some damage, and you know if, if they do this wrong, they're toast. Well, and the minimal arm armaments goes back to they've been fairly realistic. About the, we only have so much ammo. We only have so many torpedoes, this, that, and the other. We have to be smart about how we do things. Mm-hmm. You know, and part of the PR war, somebody managed to get a video that made it look, because of the angle, 
like when they fired in self-defense, they fired on New Orleans. Yeah. The the PR war aspect I thought was impressive because that's, you know, once you've been accused of, of blowing up civilians and stuff like that, it's hard to come back from that. Yeah. Yet they seem to have. Yeah. Well, and switching Valkyrie to their side there at the end yeah. was very well done. And I'll admit, I liked it when they had Chandler listening to her explain the whole conspiracy that she figured out. And that's why she went on the air. And he hears her out. And finally, he says, but you forgot the most important part. The aliens that were helping us. I think, uh, Valkyrie, she gets a lot of, of flack from the captain, the crew. Some deserved, some not so much. Yeah. When at one point they've been leading the, the immunes and stuff on a wild goose chase by spoofing messages and stuff, and they do like a hard turn or whatever, or like a sudden back or whatever on the ship, a uh, sudden maneuver there, everybody is braced and stuff. She goes to the floor, and Gunderson's like, man, your station. Yeah. And she's like, I tried. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of that is she didn't realize what all back or fullback meant. And I have to say, this is the only ship I have ever heard of that has a port side and a right side. I see that as as uh, uh, being thoughtful for those of us that can never remember port and starboard. Okay, fine. But it was, again, it was a fun season. They covered a lot of ground. Um I was amazed how much ground they covered when you think about. Again, going from we've lost the ship, but we've got these things we can inject people with to cure them, but we've only got so much, to at the end, literally shaking hands and breathing on people uh, cures them. Well, and in the meantime, we have found out that there are these uh, labs around the world that if we can get the information on how to make the cure to them, they can make the cure. So we get pilots to fly doctors mm -hmm. with the information to them. Right. And then they blow all those up. Yeah. Good old Ramsey. Yeah. Again, putting Ramsey in there and I'm glad they kind of finalized that part. But there's still the concept of their stuff in Europe or whatever. Yeah. But what I like, though, about making the cure contagious is it made for very interesting scenes when they'd hit like New Orleans and a few other places. Of just the crew going around and, and shaking hands and celebrating and stuff with the crowd is curing them. Yeah. Well, the St. Louis one was probably the best, especially when Jeter's in-laws, who he hadn't seen pretty much since his wife died about 10 mm -hmm. years ago, showed up. And he wanted to hug and embrace them, aside from wanting to give them the contagious cure. Yeah. 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 That was just... All of those scenes I thought were well done. The number of extras they had involved in, in this stuff. I mean, this could not have been a cheap show to put together. Yeah. But they're spending the money wisely. Even when they're doing CG stuff for some of the ship to sail it down the the, uh, the Mississippi or whatever. is it, To me, it seems like it's, it's, you know, special effects and stuff. And it makes sense. You're not just take a Navy ship and go joyriding down there. But it's well done, particularly for, for weekly television. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not flawlessly done, but it's pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, again, pleased with how they're doing all of that. Well, I found it interesting that at the very end of the season, the ship, the Nathan James, needs to go into dry dock for several months. They definitely ended on a note where it seems like the next season will pick up months later. Four at least. Possibly so, six. Conceivably, Lieutenant Green... And our pregnant lieutenant, who... Whoa. Kira something. Yeah, Kira. Um, they should be married because they got engaged. Married and with a kid. Yeah. They, um, they, they've had time to uh, fix the ship, grow the character some, change a couple of people's skills if they need it, get some new people involved, have a few just, hey, they, they went off and did something else. Mm -hmm. And have Chandler be thoroughly frustrated. I don't know about thoroughly frustrated, but it gives the president a chance to be thoroughly in power, entrenched in a game plan. And Chandler is either on board with that and helping spearhead that. And now we're ready to go. Let's go. Or I'm done sitting around. Let's go. See, I don't see him as a sit at his desk and just 
wait for oh, things. Oh, certainly not wait. They are going to have an aggressive game plan of some sort based on that character. Yeah. This is this is how we're going to take back the world. Yeah. And it's going to be, this is where the, the, the places we can get the cure made. Here's the logistics. Here's all of that. Chandler will not spend his time sitting around. Yeah. He'll be doing that probably most of his time with some of the time being spent coordinating with the XO who will be overseeing the refit. Mm-hmm. Now, how they're going to do the refit is going to be interesting, too. Yeah. And if they're smart, they're starting to build back up a military. But it's one of those that they set it up to where time will have elapsed, and I'm really curious what the game plan is for the next season. Yeah. Hopefully, we will have an idea how much of the country has received the cure. They were talking about flying people who have the contagious cure mm-hmm. to other places. Um, they were and- talking about flying the uh, the family of the captain in. Yeah. And then the question becomes, do we take on the world in terms of sharing the cure with the world? Well, and is the show almost based out of St. Louis or is that just the starting point for the season? Mm-hmm. Much like Baltimore was for the second season. Yeah. And the more I watch this show, the more curious I get about the book. Because this is based on a, a book done back in, I'm thinking the 60s, 50s? 88. 88. Yeah. It was the uh, successor, if you will, to a book that became a movie in the uh, late 50s, early 60s on the beach. Ah, that was the one I was thinking that was so far back that dad was inspired by. Yeah. Uh, That was one that apparently, again, uh, very pivotal for a generation, I think, of of Navy people. Yeah. um, Or at least a subset thereof. Uh, But the, the book this is based on, I'm curious about. Yeah. And I've picked up the book. And, uh, you know, because it's written in 88, it's, I want to say it's really about the issues of the time from what I've read on the back cover. I would expect it to be a little more topical, whereas probably more based in like a terrorism sort of a thing than just a, a, a biological plague or something like that. In other words, things that were touch points politically and militarily then versus now. Um, the back cover of the book makes it come across as very much a everybody nuked everybody while a ship was in a safe zone. Cold War era, I could see yeah. that. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about it, we're now in more of a bird flu. Mindset. Biological warfare is more of a fear or bio- contaminants, whatever. Yeah. Plague versus nuclear. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting to think about how like you said, the touch points are for different generations. Mm-hmm. You know, because I remember back in the 80s, you were more afraid of, will this country press the button, which means that country will press the button. And one of the things that the book, The Last Ship, starts out with is when nuclear weapons had to be in these huge silos on these huge missiles that were operated by these ginormous computers, they were easy to be monitored by satellites and everybody could have a spy satellite up there. Yeah. But once you got it to where any little Tomahawk missile could have a nuclear warhead and you could put 15 of those on every one of your ships and your ships could be anywhere. Yeah, it gets to where it's impossible to track that stuff. And then you put onto your tomahawks some kind of a guidance system that once it's launched from your ship, it goes at a below radar but above sonar flying height, just above the treetops. Kind of in that blind spot, yeah. And that's where the fear came from. No, and it totally makes sense. It's one of those things that... What the fears are is is something that evolves over time. Yeah. And, you know, what would this show have been like 10 years earlier, 10 years later because of that? Yeah. But I think they've done a, a very good job making it believable from a scientific point of view without getting lost in any kind of technobabble. It seems believable from a, a military point of view. I'm sure either expert scientists or experts in the military, whatever, ah, well, they're doing this wrong, whatever. They're at least doing it respectfully, yeah. even if not 100% right. And it, it it seems passable to me. Yeah. And I'm sure they're taking a couple of liberties just so they can shoot it and have it work as a TV show. Yeah. But it's one that, uh, again, it's been a fun season. It's it's well-written. It's compelling. It's got good actors, uh, good writing. And just the way they can get the suspense out of, you know, 
slow, I don't say slow speed chases or whatever, but you know, they're in plain sight hiding from a sub. Yeah. Anyone with a pair of binoculars could find them and give them away. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be okay or not? And build that suspense believably. Yeah. Well, and when they had Valkyrie using her system of messages to the phones to try and convince people they were in a different location than they were, that was a case that fascinated me because she made an honest mistake because she wasn't one of the Navy personnel and none of the Navy personnel were working or coordinating with her closely enough. She didn't know the speed at which a ship moves, what was realistic. She just knew where she wanted to get them to go. I put that on Gator. He was the one who was always plotting where they were and stuff, and he should have been plotting both where they were and where they were claiming to be. Agreed. That's a good point. And I felt somebody should have been a little bit more on top of what Valkyrie was doing, and it should not have been Gunderson, because Gunderson was uh, an officer of the day or something. Yeah. Well, it was very clear that they had assigned her to spoof We Are Elsewhere, and everyone was so used to being on top of their own thing that no one micromanaged her. And it was very interesting. They needed to have somebody be her proxy in the chain of command. Yeah. Team her up with somebody until she's up to speed on how the ship works. Yeah. And understandable mistake. Very much in character and in keeping with the way the ship works and, and the way the show works. Yeah. So I've, again, I entered the season a little concerned of had they written themselves into a corner, cliffhanger, how's it going to work out? Felt they earned their way out of out of that situation, resolved it well. Well, I was grateful that they got the ship back believably and well, because quite frankly, it's called the last ship. They started the season with no ship. We knew they were going to get the ship back. But I didn't want it to feel cheesy or unearned. Exactly. And the fact that we got to see how that happened, they, again, they earned that ship back. It's not just, oh, the the, the other side did something stupid. Yeah. You know, it was, um, and that's something that I've seen a lot of shows do is they'll write some, themselves into what is a really good cliffhanger, but just the way they work themselves out of it, it's like, really, that's what it took? That's it? Or they took all that? How did they pull that off? I mean, it was it was unbelievable, either easy or hard. Yeah. Well, I watched one show that had this phenomenal cliffhanger. And when they came back, it was how I got out of that was so amazing. You would never believe me. So I'm not going to tell you. There was one show where they had a cliffhanger and they came back. It was months later and it was as if the cliffhanger never happened. <laughs> nice. Doesn't happen often, but it does. Yeah. So I think TNT's doing a really good job with this show. Uh, I'm looking forward to the other new shows they're going to be coming out with over time. Uh, there's talk about them doing a Titans show based on the new Teen Titans from DC Comics. Looking forward to that if it comes off uh, well. Legends has a second season okay. starting up in the not-too-distant future. Well, that was a fun show, and that one left off in a, a very clear, you know, where will they pick up? Yeah. And Last Ship, I mean, it ended, if they had not had the last scene, it would have been something where they could have just ended at season two and it was a graceful finish. Mm. But they had a little, oh, but wait, there's this. Yeah. And I'm curious again, do they pick up on that? Do they not? You know, what's going on? Yeah. So- They've also given themselves a lot of a lot more wiggle room than they did at the end of the first season, where it's we've got to deal with this at the beginning of the second. You know, right before the uh, scene, um, they were having an inaugural ball mm-hmm. for the president, and one of the things I loved was a bunch of the guys from the ship and gals were celebrating, and Green was telling a story about one of the guys who died back in the pilot, and they ended up toasting. The various characters yes. who passed away during the two seasons. I like that because they were very much, hey, we've lost not just the last couple of people, we've lost a lot. Yeah. That it was a hard-earned victory to to save the world and to, to reestablish the presidency and whatnot. Yeah. Um, it was very beautifully done. Well, and it shows, again, the community of the ship. Mm-hmm. You know, that they, they celebrate together, they, they mourn together. That's something that for as big of a cast as they've got to pull that off as well as they do is tough. Yeah. Um, touching on the the reasserting of the presidency and stuff, one of the other scenes I really liked, and it was just a small scene, 
They'd gotten the president. He was on the ship and the captain is taking him to his new quarters. Mm -hmm. And as we get in there, there are a couple of, of crewmen who quickly vacate, but it's clear one of them is painting the seal of the, the president of the United States up on the wall. Finishing yeah. off the stars or whatever. Another one's doing the communication stuff. Another one is, it's like they've set him up a mini little oval office here. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of attention to detail. If we get to see, oh, that's how that happened. Well, and you were talking about the scene when they took off the ship, uh, Dr. Scott, the president, and basically the people they didn't want to risk the lives of. They'd rescued maybe 10 children, maybe mm -hmm. less. Um, so they've got them with maybe five of the military personnel, I want to say, and they're out in the New Orleans swamp area. They've got the kids, the president, and the uh, the medical crew that can do the cure. Yes. And yeah, because Patrice is with them and the other doctor and stuff. Yeah. And so they've gone towards this barn-like area and uh, the EXO gives the order to the military guys of, all right, let's set up here. You guys take the perimeter, this, that, and the other. And the president looks at the kid who's clearly been responsible for all the other kids. Kind of the leader of that group, yeah. And starts giving him advice on now would be a good time for your kids to have dinner. Don't forget to ration. This is about how many days we're going to do this, that, and the other. And I liked the way he wasn't just taking command of the civilians, but he was caring about every civilian. Well, and there was a comment before they left the ship between those two where it's like, okay, this kid's kind of a future uh, 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 secret service secret service or whatever. Those are the things where they build little relationships between the characters. Yeah. That they can then progress off screen, if you will, and build it a little further next time. Mm -hmm. And it feels believable because, well, they've had that. They must have had something after that. Yeah. And it- Again, it feels natural. It's believable. It's not something where we got to see each little, you know, kind of step in that progress. Yeah. There was just that, that sense both of caring about all the people and that mentoring of the kid, Ray. And mm -hmm. I really liked how it played. And when they got out of the boats, the president leaned back to give Patrice a handout. Kind his of character arc was, was very interesting. It was. And just seeing his growth uh, with the president and stuff from... I don't believe you to, okay, I will be the man you need me to be. Well, not only I don't believe you, but he had a USB drive with videos that almost reinforced what he wanted to believe and what he needed to believe. And he would kind of sneak that into a computer and watch it when mm -hmm. he needed that reassurance. Again, it goes to Ramsey and kind of that cult-like aspect. Yeah. And that I thought they built up believably, even with Ramsey and his brother. The brother is like, okay, you're nuts. Yeah. Um, and just how all of that progressed over the season, how we saw how the, the the sub worked when they were there, when they weren't there. I mean, there's a lot of of kind of subtlety and thought that's put into the writing here. Yeah. And I watch other shows where it feels like certain plot lines just kind of vanish. Yeah. And it's like, well, I guess they kind of felt they were done with that, but I, I felt they needed a little more or just- Character walks off screen, never to be heard from again. We I used, don't get that here. I used to watch a show that I joked there were certain characters only one writer knew about. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They've got a cohesive writing staff here. And yeah. It, it pays off. Well, and they have issues and discussions that come up and recur. The... We don't want to shoot at civilians. We don't want to use live ammo against civilians, even if they're shooting at us because they've been misinformed. Well, this whole thing makes me wonder what change of power there has been or has there been at TNT from – because where we're at now, they seem to be doing a really good job shepherding a show and getting it into the air and doing really good with it mm -hmm. versus roll back a ways to uh, – uh, uh, Babylon 5, uh, the Crusade series, and a yeah. few other things that were on TNT where it was just, things went south. Well, first of all, that's quite a ways. That's uh, over clearly, 10 years. Yeah, clearly change of, of leadership um, there. But the second thing is, I know in the case of The Last Ship, it was the execs at TNT who read the book ah, and said- They procured the show versus the show kind of pitched to them. Yeah. That's a big difference right there. 
Yeah. So they didn't say, we want this book to become a show. It was, this has something special in it. Can you give us a show with that same something special? This is the sort of thing we're looking for. Therefore, setting expectations Mm -hmm. and getting what they want. Okay. And I believe Legends went the same way. Interesting. They read the book, said this has that something special. We want that something special on screen. Well, and if you go with, let's take a book, let's take this other property, let's adapt it. But we want an adaption that that is true to what this was. The heart and the soul of it, if not word for word. Well, and that's the thing. They seem to really want the heart and the soul... Not necessarily the characters or anything or other. Or the specific plot or whatever. Yeah. Well, and that gives me a lot of hope for the, the Titans show because if they're basically, if somebody looked at the, the classic Wolfman and Perez era of New Teen Titans and said, this worked, I like the relationship, I like the family aspect, I like this, that, and the other about this, replicate that for a modern audience on TV, obviously things are going to have to change. Yeah. But if you're in agreement with why that property was picked, what worked about it, what didn't work about it, what's changeable, what what isn't, because that violates the core of the thing, Yeah, that's how you wind up with good television or good material to begin with, good yeah. adaptations. Well, it's funny. I started to read The Last Ship last night, knowing we were going to record this. Um, it is definitely a statement on my reading abilities and attention span, not on the book. I made it one page. And I say that because it had a line in that one page that I kept going back to going, I want more than one line on that. I want more than that one sentence. I need to hit Google. Finding an author that is compatible with your reading style is is an art form because I've had times where I really wanted to read something. Isaac Asimov stuff is a good example of this. It's brilliant stuff, but it's it's thick. It's dense. It is not easy to get through. He's got very full pages. I've read some other books. Um, I forget the title of it. It was like Once Upon a Time in the West or something. It was the epitome of a page turner. I, I started reading. Next thing I knew, it was like 50 pages in, like in a, in a heartbeat kind of a thing. Well, this one had as a throwaway comment that the Nathan James is named for an ensign who received, I believe, a purple heart and died in World War II. Then it goes on to talk about tomahawks for most of a page. I'd like to know how he died and why he was worthy of naming a ship after. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. If he is an ensign and that noteworthy. Why, how, and yeah. Yeah. And I just couldn't get past the, that came off. Now, maybe if I'd made it more than a page. But it's also one of the things you would expect that to be one of the, the things they would hit early on. When when they bring up that subject, they should fulfill it you know what i mean as opposed to going just a that's all you need to know about the name now let me tell you about the armaments that's the sort of thing that i've hit occasionally in the comics um reviewing on the weekly comics spotlight it's like wait a sec they just referenced this either i you know i it it almost jogs something in my memory which is increasingly bad so it's like i gotta stop go to wikipedia oh okay Mm-hmm. And when, that would be the sort of comment that would get me to Wikipedia. But the minute I've got to do, do research on a story, you're not telling the story. You're making me do it. Yeah. Well, and I couldn't find anything other than Wikipedia's about the TV show and the book uh, for this because I wasn't, I was on my tablet, not doing a very good search. But what I did find that was interesting is because this was written back in 88, he picked a very future sounding hull number, which is now a long since used hull number. Yeah. So the hull number on the TV show is different. A few things like that. Just going back to the, you can try as hard as you might to pick something that isn't in use and shouldn't be in use anytime soon. But But that's also the kind of thing that could be a fun subplot or episode of just at some point they're having to wait something out. You know, again, they're doing another thing with the sub or whatever, but not as tense, something where they've got some time to kill and just get, why is the ship called what it is? Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, a recounting of the history for the lessons to be learned from it. There was also an entry saying that back in season one, when they did the kite sail thing, Mm -hmm. that that can be done if it's done in combination with the engine to save fuel. 
and that it is moderately realistic, but not the exact way they showed it on the show. Again, they're going to take some liberties just to, to make it uh, a little more televisable. But and more, more realistic than I thought. Yeah. Well, and again, I appreciate that they try to get the stuff right, but they're also focusing on telling a good story versus the letter of physics, you know, letter of the law of physics and stuff like that. Yeah. Don't fly in the face of it. That's all I ask. Yes. I mean, a contagious cure may be complete, you know, garbage, but it sounds plausible. And that's all I need. And quite frankly, it's something I want to believe in. Well, and it seemed narratively fitting for the nature of the virus. It did. And I was unsurprised both that it only had a contagion period of five days, but also that you could only be given it once to cont- be contagious with. Yeah. I thought story-wise that was going to be a necessity. It does. Otherwise, it's just whoever they meet is cured, end of story kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was always surprised nobody kind of, it's like, well, what do you mean you've cured me? You just shook my hand. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure they could explain, well, that's how you got the virus. Oh, you're giving me a virus, you know, kind mm-hmm. of. But again, it was it was a very satisfying season. It played out well. Uh, it's something that I think a lot of people would enjoy. Yes. And I'm looking forward to where they go next. Well, and I think, I mean, as much as I think people should watch both seasons, I think each season can stand individually. And that's impressive for a show. I would argue the first two episodes of this season stand with the first, not the second. I can see that. But there are clear kind of delineations of what would be kind of that novel, that arc or whatever. Okay. And the one follows into the next. Yeah. But I would say season season two, episode three kind of starts that next arc after they've left um, Baltimore. I can see that. It's one of those that I think... You might be able to enter at any point, but I would just start at the beginning. Yeah. And I don't know if this is on Netflix, Hulu, or or whatever, but yeah, I think it should be fairly easy to go find first season. And these are short seasons. Yeah. 10, 12 episodes. 10, 12, 13 tops. Yeah. So it's something that really take out commercials. You can marathon it a season in a day on a weekend. Um, and it's just, like I said, a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a very hopeful show despite what it sounds like it's about, and I like it for that. For a post-apocalyptic show, it does have a lot of hope and uh, positive messages. Yeah, hope, faith, belief in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.